the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson. As we head into Hour 2, we do so every Friday with George Kale. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and president of Data Orbital. He is the finest and best political consultant in the business. We're delighted he is in Arizona. We're delighted he shares his brain with us here every Friday. George, happy Friday. How are you, man? Happy Friday to you. I'm good, Seth. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. You betcha. You betcha. Um, I want to talk about a few things, but first off, you at Data Orbital put out some interesting data on the AZ GOP primary returns. Okay to ask you a little bit about what you're seeing in the ballots requested and the returns and what we can learn from this as of right now. I know it's just a snapshot for right now, but what 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 are we seeing right now from what you're noticing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're seeing is a huge delay. Uh, candidly, Republicans are uh, tremendously behind where traditionally we are at this time in the last two election cycles. And to, to put a fine point on it, um, in 2000 and um, in 2000, uh, this year, obviously 2022, we're at a 16% return rate. Okay. At this time in 2018, we were at 19%. Uh-huh. And then in 2020, we were at 24%. So what that means is Republicans are holding on to their ballots longer. Democrats are not doing the same thing. Independents that are voting in either primary, because uh, independents, for folks that don't know, can vote in Arizona in either the Republican primary or the Democratic primary. They're not doing the same thing. But Republicans in, in, in particular and specifically <clears throat> are holding on to their ballots. There's only about 189,000, 190,000 ballots that have been returned. Uh, well behind where we usually are at this time and well behind even where the Democrats are this year. Now, what do you think is behind or in back of that? What is ex- what explains this uh, this drop? I have two theories I'll run by you. and uh, Let me run my two theories by you. You're the teacher, and then you can grade me and give me the, th- the, the third door, <laughs> the third and the right answer. My theories are there's a lot still undecided in some significant races, and there's a lot of distrust of the mail-in ballot, and they're waiting to drop it off on Election Day. Those are my two theories. How, how am I doing, teacher? 100% okay. A-plus. <laughs> <All right. laughs> uh, I would say that the, the larger of the two, in my opinion, is the distrust of the mail-in voting. Okay. I do think the undecided, but also just the general. I mean, Seth, there's been you know millions, tens of millions of dollars spent in races. And frankly, that's not just the governor and Senate race. I right. mean, there's... There's a multi-million dollar primary in Scottsdale for Congress. There's super contentious legislative races. There's a lot of stuff swirling around. And so it's a combination, I think, of undecided, but also people just, oh, my God, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know which way is up. Uh, but I do think that is second to the fact that Republicans, because of everything that we know, and we don't have to relitigate here on this call, uh, everything that, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years where Republicans are, are just hesitant to mail back their ballots. And I think a lot are choosing to drop them off on Election Day 
or we'll just simply vote in person on election day. Yeah, you last week you were telling me uh, that you you are expecting at this point a pretty huge showing up on what is it August second, right? You're 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 correct, right? You're you're looking for a correct. pretty yeah, we are yeah we are showing yeah yeah. I mean it's it's you know we have we have you know somewhere usually we're in the mid teens in terms of people that vote on election day actually physically go in and vote on election day. It could be anywhere in the mid twenties. I mean, that would be a huge if that materializes. Again, if that ends up materializing, that could be a tremendous increase from anything we've seen in the last, you know, arguably decade or more. George, irrespective of any candidate you may or may not be working for or against, uh, what is roughly the undecided best estimate or best uh, polling you've 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 conducted? What is the undecided in some of these bigger races? Is it the same in governor and say Senate? Uh, is the undecided number the same or are they different numbers? And if, if you know, back of the envelope or I mean, you're the data guy, you probably don't have a back of the envelope. You have the data. <laughs> so I'll just ask you, what's the undecided? Let me quit filibuster. Sure, sure. So there is a bit of a difference. I will say the race that has the lowest percentage of undecided from the numbers that we're looking at is the governor's race. Uh, then the Senate race. Now, they're only off by about five or six points from each other. Both of those undecided, I believe, are under 20. But that's still, I mean, that's not insignificant, right? I mean, right. Uh, you know, look, a percentage of those people will just never decide and they just won't show up and vote. A small percentage of those people, very small, because these are what we call top of the ballot races, they'll show up and vote for other things, but they won't vote for those races. Uh, and then obviously a chunk will will decide. But we've got statewide races, as we've discussed, yeah. and superintendents race yeah. and others that yeah. are called down ballot, uh-huh. but still statewide. They're in the 30s, 40 percent. I mean, I just saw a survey for, for a down ballot race where six way attorney general, there's still 40 percent of people that are undecided. 40 percent are undecided in the attorney election. general's race. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of people still undecided in some of these down ballot races. And then obviously you don't even, you know, then then you look at like, well, city council and legislative. Yep. Now, obviously, when you go down the ballot, more people that are undecided just will do what we call undervote and they'll vote other races and they won't vote for those people in particular. But uh, there still are a lot of races that have a lot of undecideds in them. Another two part question for you based on that. That's interesting. I didn't realize the AG's race was so heavily undecided at this point. Um but it explains other things I've been seeing uh, a little bit. So the question, the two-part question on that is, will the people, are, are, are people not focused on those races, or is it an embarrassment? In other words, have the Senate and governor's races sucked out most of the oxygen that people have attention for when it comes to politics? Or is it that there's an embarrassment of riches and people just are trying to decide between the margins of someone they like versus someone they like plus one or something? That one's a little bit tougher. I mean, I think... Notice I, think I did not propose an answer, <laughs> as I did yeah, the no, first time. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, in, in the, you know, this cycle, there's a lot of, every cycle in politics, and you, you know, you've, you've seen it for a number of years, there's a lot of tumultuousness. There's an extra amount this year. Uh, I do think that's a big factor. And look, when you sometimes get down to these, uh, to these, what we call, like I said, bottom of the, of the, of the ticket races, uh, there's there's a lot of last minute decision making and and frankly because I've seen you know polling on fairly prominent races where people are spending a lot of money and there's still amazingly 30 40 percent of the electorate that doesn't know about a candidate that just spent millions of dollars there's, there's some voters that go into the voting booth and make their best educated decision uh, based on you know okay well did someone send me a mailer or something like that uh, but even even then some people just 
pick someone, uh, candidly, because otherwise either that or there's a whole lot of people that are under-reporting when it comes to, you know, polling. And it's not just with one pollster. It's across the board we're seeing a lot of these things. So I, I think that in these down-ballot races, I, I think some decisions are going to be made late. We also don't know, by the way, there's a lot of people that got early ballots and who knows, they may have filled them out two weeks ago. We don't know when they actually filled them out. Yeah, that's a fair point, they too. They just didn't put in. it in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just didn't put it in the mail, and 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 you know we all know how long mail sits on our counters. So <laughs> whether it's bills or or ballots or what have you, we know how long um, you know as, as people we we uh, sometimes neglect those things. So I think there's a lot of factors. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are going into this, <clears throat> but I think again, I think the tip of the spear is um, there's obviously a, there's has been a growing anxiety around mail-in voting amongst uh, Republican primary voters. And the other point too, I, I will say that's critical. Is this lag on mail-in, this lag on return rates is actually coming from people that we know are going to vote. What I mean by that is they have historically always voted. They uh, are what we call four out of four voters or uh, three out of four voters. These are not like people that never vote in primaries. These are folks like me and you who every year vote, mm-hmm. and there's a lot less of them that have voted thus far this year uh-huh. than uh, we we otherwise would have voted in the last two cycles. That's so significant. That yeah, that's significant, and that's time. probably getting more towards the distrust on the mail-in situation. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, let me run this by you. I, I I had a caller earlier in the week who was talking about the signs, political signs, physical signs, you know, on the streets and sidewalks, etc. And he and I have heard this now for a few years, or at least maybe two cycles. That he is, he said he's noticed that you know the candidates now don't really put their party register, their party affiliation on these signs as much as they used to in his memory, and I and he said, how are we supposed to know about them? And I said, well, I, you can't expect too much from a sign. I mean, I, I think we all have to go and do our homework a little bit. But what I, I don't have a good answer as to is it is it a, is it in a play for more independence or is it a play for bipartisan uh, you know for cross party voting or is it just a play for not crowding up a sign what what explains this if the premise is right if it's true that we don't put the parties on the signs the way we used to so it's partly true and I mean, and, and look, having I, asked that. Knowing I'm up against yeah. a break, can I actually hold, ask you to hold that thought and come back to it on the other side of this break if you have the time? Do you have time for another segment? Absolutely. Thanks. Sorry to Absolutely. do that to you, but at least uh, it teases the segment nicely. As we go to break, <laughs> let me put in a word for my friends at Y Refi. If you are looking for a really remarkable and unique investment opportunity, check out my friends at, at Y Refi, investyrefi.com. Investors do well by doing Good. It's a fixed, no-load interest rate, up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Invest com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087. I'm Seth Leibson. He's George Callahan. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have George Kaloff with us. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group, President of data orbital. George, just to reset it, I had a call earlier in the week. Why do we see every election year less and less political signage with party affiliation of the candidate on it? And I think I think it's true, but you, you can straighten me out if, if my perception or the caller's perception is wrong, but also what's behind it if it is true. Uh, no, that's, a, that's actually a good question. And, and uh, 
uh, if I could figure out a way to do this without upsetting people, I'd love every cycle. To oh, give heck, George, I'd be out of business. Down <laughs> we're, on, we're, uh, you can do it. Signs, but uh, invariably, if I do that, uh, a whole host of folks are going to get, uh, get upset <laughs> with me. Uh, but in terms of uh, party affiliation, I do I do agree. There are a lot less signs of a party affiliation. But, I mean, candidly, the problem is there are signs. They're on the side of the road. And, frankly, one of the bigger battles I consistently fight uh, with clients, and uh, I love all my clients. So one of the bigger battles I consistently fight is how much things they would like to put right. on signs. And right. we all know those. Right. We all know those street signs that read more like essays, and they actually do signs. Those are problematic because the average voter, unless they're really going to be distracted driving, which is obviously not good, and we don't want people to do that, they're going to catch your name, and that's about it. Okay. Maybe a photo, maybe a website. Okay. And so that is a part of it. The other thing too, frankly, is cost effectiveness. So if a lot of people are in tough generals and they already know that their party affiliation is going to be on the ballot why scream it on a sign and you don't want to have to reprint new signs in the in the general election so they'll print them without the party in the primary Uh, some people put an elephant or a donkey uh some people put conservative Uh or progressive right so they put Mm -hmm. some of those buzzwords so uh, but i would agree i don't i don't see as much of just like republican for state house or republican for state senate that probably is happening a bit less but again people do all kinds of uh, to use this word, I've been using it a lot this week, janky. People put all kinds of janky things on signs. Did you create that um, word? And, is and that I, a neologism? Should we help try and make it a thing, or is that a real world word? I don't know. I have uh, I have Georgisms that I say. I'm not sure if those are real words well, when, or not. Okay. Something that's just off and weird. So all right. Uh, essentially, people put weird things on their signs. It's really the, the, the point of that. Uh, janky. The point of that word, and, and, uh, and they think that they're doing it to stand apart, but really I think it just gets lost in confusion, particularly as, you know, anyone who's been driving around the Phoenix metro area this summer, there's a lot of candidates that are running for elective office, and there's a lot of candidates in this primary. Our street corners will clean up tremendously after August 2nd, but right now, it's just a sea of red, white, and blue on every corner. By the way, at the Collins Dictionary, they have the word janky as a suggestion to be included in a dictionary to mean clumsy or not well put together. Well, there you go. There you go. (laughs) You're, you're, You're ahead of the curve. You're ahead of the curve. It will be in next year's dictionary, quite likely. By the way, on political signage, it's interesting. You know, you and I uh, work on behalf of a lot of – well, I volunteer, but you, you, your, your profession is working on behalf of a lot of candidates. So no question that you, you get these kinds of calls I do, too, from people who like a candidate I might like or a candidate you might like or even be working on behalf of. And they like they, – they will call as they travel – parts of the state or parts of even the city or their neighborhood and say, hey, Seth, call so-and-so and and let them know there are no signs here. Or I was driving through whatever, uh, Eloy, and I saw no signs of this candidate that we love. The sign matter. There's a there's a percentage, right? The sign has some impact, right? The presence of the sign does something as opposed to the lack of it, right? There is a small percentage of people that are motivated by signage, right? Am Am I am I touching some kind of truth here? You are, I will say, it is always disproportionately more impactful in the mind of a candidate and their closest supporters yeah. at how impactful signs are than yeah. how impactful they actually are. Yeah. Um, street signs, yeah. yard signs, I think are very impactful. Why? Because usually your neighbors know who you are and vice versa. And if you have a yard sign in your yard, that is you giving a public endorsement. Yeah. That is definitely impactful. Okay. I do think street signs are, are, are needed. Uh, particularly in states like Arizona where everyone does it because it does look kind of obvious when you don't have it. 
But again, they are very expensive to print. More importantly, they're very expensive to install. And oftentimes people get really, you know, when you call it the sign wars, quote unquote, people get really crazy with the sign wars and they start having, you know, there was a race last cycle where uh, one of our uh, client's opponents had, I think, anywhere between 800 and 1,000 signs up in a small legislative district. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. a, that's unruly, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was on every... Uh, major and non-major intersection five times over. Is there That's a tipping point beyond, at, at a certain point where people become frustrated and say, it's too much of that person? <laughs> it's way too much of that oh, person? Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Uh, right? I mean, it, there's there's no doubt about it. People get uh, people get annoyed of, of them littering, and then we know how bad these storms are, and then signs end up in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk this, and, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of sign wars, sign games. There, there could be a whole book written about political science, probably, uh, for nerds like us who would, who would want to partake and read something like that. Yeah, we but, just had, uh, couldn't couldn't make it a janky book that's all that's all we have to, yeah, George. Uh, the other question on this and then i want to get to a few political things uh uh having to do with arizona and the nation particularly on energy and something pete Buttigieg said earlier in the week our secretary of transportation but before i do that one more point that i hear from a lot of listeners and i'll i'll, I'll again test an answer with float an answer with you for you to correct me or 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 fi- or, or or approve it which is it's 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 definitively many more Republican signs than Democrat signs out there right now. And, uh, you know, my point, my, 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 my best response to that is, George, is that the Democrats, I mean, I don't want to give an image of smoke-filled rooms, but it seems they do a better job of kind of coalescing around who the person is that's going to be, and they kind of do that, whereas we kind of like to beat ourselves up throughout the primary season and write the Democrats' talking points for the general election more than they do. Am I on to any kind of closeness to the truth on this? You are. That's why there aren't as many Democrat signs, because there's not many primaries. And and again, people know how bad the monsoons are here in Arizona in the summer. And so why would you spend precious resources to put up signs you're going to have to put up again? So what will happen, and you'll see it happen somewhere between the night of August 2nd to the, you know, night of August 6th, (laughs) you'll see a bunch of signs go down, a bunch of rebar get picked up, and a lot of new signs go up, and some of them are going to be Democratic signs. They've been waiting for, you know, what's called prime real estate on these corners now that everything else is down. But look, you have an AG who doesn't have enough, you know, primary, and even though the Secretary of State's race and the, you know, the, uh, uh, the governor's race has a primary. They're using billboards. Uh, amazingly, okay. I see all kinds of Democratic billboards, interestingly. And even though, again, I'm not talking like, of course, maybe you don't see as many Democratic signs in Scottsdale or the Southeast Valley. But, I'm, you know, I work downtown near the Capitol and on my way home and in places that are, quote, unquote, blue. And there's still not as many signs. There's actually still more kind of more Republican signs than, than not. Uh, but I think that's a big factor. You're <laughs> right. They don't have as many primaries. The, and, uh, there is and a primary in the Democratic governor's race, but it's not really yeah. it's it's not really close, is it? Or am I wrong? No, yeah, no, it's not. Like I said, Marco Lopez has uh, a prime real estate uh, to use that phrase again yeah. on the um, on the billboard on the I ten. But I don't know that I've seen a single sign. I don't know that I see. I, I, funny enough, I actually saw more Democratic signs. Where was I? Uh, somewhere in. Uh, almost like rural-ish Arizona yeah. uh, that I was at in the last week, which I thought was interesting, versus in uh, in broader Maricopa County. I would expect a lot more to come up after uh, after the primary okay. when you go into the general. Uh, but yeah, you're right. But that it's, Democratic it, it's primary, that it's not really competitive, is it? Not really. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah. It's not. We we always have more contentious primaries than they do, and and it's it's um, it's been a long time since they've come even close to how 
how uh, brutal our primaries can That's be. That's so interesting. That's so, but a good word for it, brutal. Uh, stay with me a little bit if you have some time. I want to do something Pete Buttigieg did, and I want to do. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, another down-ballot race, so to speak, if I can. I'm Seth Liebson. He's George Kaloff, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is our guest from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Uh, George, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to me um, how how little energized the American people are right now about some of the most outrageous things they are seeing and hearing from their political leaders. Um, we had the uh, White House COVID coordinator today give you probably seen the video an overview of Joe Biden talking to him like you or I might talk about an aged pa- pa- parent who a friend was inquiring about, how's mom doing? Well, she ate her breakfast and she ate her lunch and she had a pretty good night's sleep, just left a few crumbs. We're just going along with this like this is okay. But one of the ones that I think is so damning is what Pete Buttigieg, our transportation secretary, said earlier this week in House Testimony. Let me just play a clip for you in the audience and get your take on it. The more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. Of course, can you imagine that, George? The more pain, the better. This is a new version and, and of politics. Exactly, and and the use of the word pain too, because it truly is painful. Yeah. For so many Americans that can literally cannot afford to get from point A to point B, and he's using it uh, to to shove uh, electric cars down the throat of Americans. Uh, only, again, totally discrediting the fact that these individuals feel pain and think, well, yeah, but it's better for the electric car owners, right? I mean, naive is not even the right word. Oblivious is not. I'm not sure what the right word is to describe. And again, it's not just Pete Buttigieg. It's, it's emblematic. And again, you and I talk about it often. It's, sure. it's the entire uh, movement and the fact that they don't have just blinders on going into this general election. They are seemingly completely out of it and out of touch with the average American, which is to the benefit of the Republicans, right? But they are completely out of touch with the average American and the concerns of the average American. And every day and every week, they make it worse. Every day and every week. And someone earlier, I think, uh, in my show called in to say something on one of these points along the lines of they, they, get wor- they, they make it worse every week and they do so because we're giving them permission to in the sense that we just don't seem to care. The media is going along with it and the rest of the people. I mean, there's not a lot we could do except talk about it, I suppose, and write about it. But you just don't get a sense of um, of the lights out at the White House right now at one of the most, what shall we say, uh, threatening times, one of the most challenging times this country has ever faced, not only on the domestic front, but on the foreign policy front. They continue it because no one seems to be pushing up against it, right? We're giving them, in a sense, uh, permission by implication. Yeah, yeah. And and because, frankly, it's it's such a big problem because every time they do it, it keeps getting worse and they up the ante with it. And then we become desensitized to it, right? So it's like one crisis after another. And like you said, well, if you don't have the media to support us and they're pretending like none of these things are actually happening and it's the little coverage that they do, it's just honestly out of like a pittance of like, oh, I have to, I guess, mention this for five seconds. People like you and I can talk about it. We can write about it. And then what, right? We have real problems every day. And so, frankly, we're busy 
struggling with the fact that gas is as high as it is and we're rejoicing if it goes down like I other day went down 30 cents or something and I had a field day and it was still above 450. I'm right. Like, okay. You right. can't get comfortable. That's what happens. That's what they do. They get us comfortable with these horrific situations and then they um, things get slightly better and then they they declare the price, victory. Right? So they, they raise they, the price yeah, a dollar, they they, they, they they lower the price 20 cents and they say, "Oh my gosh, look at what we did for you." Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but again, I mean, I of course it is our fault in a way, but also, you know, what can, can we blame the average, you know, America when so much crisis is happening? We need people in charge to, to speak up. And thankfully, we've got folks that are doing so, but the media mutes everything else. And again, they pretend like it doesn't exist to lay cover uh, for uh, a set of ideals uh, that are, again, they're trying to wave over this, this entire nation. And so many people are like, yeah, no, hold up. We're not we're not going to go for that. I have a lot going to go for that. I have a lot more for you. Can you do yet one more segment or do you got to run, George? Let's do it. Uh, thanks. Uh, that's great. I'm Seth Liebson. He's George Kaloff. I want to talk to him about Joe Biden using the word emergency. All of this was in the same speech when Joe Biden said he had cancer. He also said we have a climate emergency. And my the bells went off in my head when he said that, because it seems to me when the president talks about an emergency and a crisis using the same language that they used for covid, we all better hunker down and be prepared for the same kind of response to it. And it seems to me it's an odd part related to what I was just talking about with George. We'll get his feedback on the other side of the break. Wouldn't you want to kind of float that after the election and not right before? But maybe it's part and parcel of people just don't care or something else may be at play, which is the Democrats are in for a dollar, in for a dime and in for a dollar. And we're going to have one of these situations where on, um, I don't know, November 20th, let's say the Democrats huddle and put out memos to themselves about everything they did wrong. And the New York Times will write about it and the Washington Post will write about it. And then come December 20th, no one will care anymore and everyone will down to type. Let's see what George's take is on that when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He's George Kaloff. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you just heard that ad, that was just randomly played. It was not deliberate. And uh, my gosh, what a great tee up <laughs> to the question I had planted with George Kaloff, our guest, right before the break, which was Joe Biden did say on Wednesday that climate change is an emergency. And I mean, it gives me the chills to hear such a thing because I know what happens when we declared the novel coronavirus <clears throat> an emergency, excuse me. And it just seems to me, my gosh, isn't that something you would want to kind of maybe do after the election and not before? But, you know, I have another, on the other hand, this was the same speech in which he told the nation he had cancer. So maybe that stepped over the impact of that. I don't know. But George, your thought on that, uh, Do they, are they just in for a dime and in for a dollar and don't care anymore? Uh, in other words, the die is cast for their election prospects and they're just going to put it all out there because they need their base? Or what is it? What do you think's going on here? I, I do think... Uh, I do think it, it is that to a large degree. And look, when they use words like emergency, uh, even those individuals that have very, you know, variations of concern on, on climate change, which is a lot of uh, America, uh, they use it to denote something very specific. And then it gives people flashbacks to COVID and everything else that they've declared emergencies. And they're like, oh, my gosh, something's going to be a full out uh, assault to essentially uh, get us all in line, if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to uh, willing people their way, they want to force people to get into a uh, into a certain direction. 
And you're right. Uh, they, you know, they would be, I believe, smarter to do this after the election. I think what they are probably guessing is going to happen, Seth, is that they are going to lose. And they're going to lose both chambers, the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. And then Biden's going to be a lot less powerful and then they'll be able to get a lot less things done. Not that, frankly, he's done much of anything these first two years other than make everything a lot worse. Um, but I do think that that is a large part of it. They're worried that, look, if we don't have any energy in our base for anything, and you and I have talked about this. They're grasping at straws, though. They're going from abortion to guns to mm-hmm. climate. And yeah, they really are jumping around a lot. You bet. Yeah. They cannot focus on one issue, and it's going to be to their detriment. If they just focus on one issue, maybe people could wrap their arms around it. But there's way too many, quote-unquote, crises and emergencies happening all at once. Uh, and even their people are like, okay, I don't know what to focus on. Anymore. Right, right. By the way, you mentioned this, the, the Senate race. And if I can go back to that for a second, uh, help me out on this one as well, George. Because everyone says, well, Mark Kelly is so hard to beat. He's so hard to beat. And I just, I never thought he was seven feet tall or eight feet tall or whatever the giants in politics are. I just, for some reason, I just never thought he was. But maybe I'm not reading what they're reading or what you're reading. How how tough is Mark Kelly to beat? Look, he's going to be maybe a little bit tougher than maybe some of the other swing states that we have around the country. But the problem with him is while he has had a lot of really, really bad votes, he tries to keep his head down, and he doesn't – I mean, he still says really inflammatory things. Don't get me wrong. But when you compare him to the other – I'll say this way – the other cast of characters on the left, he's a lot less inflammatory than they are. And so he's trying to stay under the radar. And frankly, he's trying to hide behind uh, Kirsten Cinema, who uh, is an exceptionally smooth political operator. But the problem is he can't hide behind uh, – he can't hide away from his votes, right? So the last time, obviously, when he was elected, he had no votes and then completely was out of the public eye because of COVID. This time he has to stand by a record, and it's not a good record. And so, look, he is not just beatable. I, I do think he will be beat, um, but I do think he's a bit harder than some of these other uh, candidates uh, and electors around the country. I did a monologue on uh, this effort he's doing of Republicans for Kelly. I think it's a fraud. I mean, I you know, on any number of things, he's against the tax cuts. He is 100 percent rated with NARAL. He's zero with the NRA. I mean, pick your pick your issue as a, a, a in a big tent party. At least one of those things would give you a reason to be a Republican. And he's against all of them. It makes no sense to me that there's this weird thing about Republicans or at least a group of uh, of of Republicans standing up to try and support him. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, but I guess do we do we see that every in every race or is there is there something weird about the Republican brand right now that they that that we have Republicans who just don't want to be Republicans. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we have a lot of people that have just been associating with our party that actually have no business being in our party. Yeah. And they now finally, for one reason or another, either feel pushed or feel uh, called or led to to essentially um, go all in on not being Republicans. They should just switch their uh, voter registration. At be this honest. Point. I mean, yeah, look, just are, be honest with we us. We are really yeah. we're really polarized. And so when you're in a major federal race like that, claiming that you're a Republican is forced a Democrat. I'm sorry, what, what, where's the alignment? Like right. you said, where's the alignment? There's right. no alignment on any issue that's in our party plank, so you're in the wrong party. It was so interesting. Arizona Republic thought it was worthy of a story, and in the story they quoted uh, one of these Republican types um, saying, well, you know, he helped funnel money toward securing the border. And I thought, gosh, if you walked up in, uh, on to any 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 registered or even likely voter and said, I have a candidate that's funneling money to the border. What party do you think that is? 
Republican would be the answer. And if he did help funnel some money, why wouldn't you go with the party that wants to actually just solve the problem once and for all rather than play games with nickels and dimes, right? I mean, there's no part of this narrative that makes sense. No, no, not at all. But then again, uh, in today's politics, things don't have to make sense. They don't sense. have to make sense. <laughs> you you and I have uh, tried to make sense for years of education and the culture and how important uh, it is to communicate what is taking place, uh, what previously was taking place uh, under the hood and now the hood being lifted. You and I uh, like to put in a word for Shiri Sapir here and again because you just don't see this kind of political leader very often. And unfortunately, it is a race that hasn't gotten the attention that it probably should have. But Shiri Sapir running for superintendent is something else, isn't she? This is this is something fresh and new and energetic and right-headed, isn't she? 100%. And with more, well, more than 50% of the ballots that we expect to come out, there is a long, long road ahead. Uh, Shiri is the leader that we need in that office. She is the only person that can beat Kathy Hoffman. She's the only person that can return sanity uh, to the position of superintendent of public instruction and not just return sanity because I don't want to settle for just being sane. Yeah. I, I want to aspire and cast vision to leading in the nation when it comes to the tone and tenor that we have on academic transparency and curriculum and leading by example to put who, amazingly, parents and their children <laughs> before uh, bureaucrats and unions and others that want to essentially tell us what to do and, and, and how to raise and how to teach our own children. And Shiri will not just return sanity. She will be that visionary leader uh, that can take on Kathy Hoffman and take her on in a huge way and, and frankly, lead by example when it comes to K-12 education here in Arizona. Yeah, that's that's well put, George. That's really well put. I appreciate your thoughts on that, too, and your support for her candidacy as well. All right, brother. Well, you earned your, um, you earned your salary today and then some. Zero times zero still. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we don't pay you. <laughs> and you don't pay us. We're, we're even on that score, though. George, you really did do a great job today, as you do every Friday, as you do in this state and in our country in advising candidates. Thank you for everything, sir, very, very much. Thank you, Seth. Absolutely. Good as always to be on. Always great talking to you. I'm Seth Liebson. Uh, we will be right back. As we go to break, I'll put in a word for balance of nature. I take it every single day. I didn't have much sleep last night. I was up working so late. I took two doses today, Balance of Nature. You can do that because you can't overdose on fruits and vegetables, and that's all it is, 100% fruits and veggies, a blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. Take it once a day, and you are good to go, boosting your health, immunity, and energy all naturally the right way with pure, potent plant power. And if you are burning the candle on both ends, no problem in taking more than one dose but mostly one dose will do it for you. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Portions of the Seth Leibson Show brought to you by Cool Touch, air conditioning, heating, and plumbing. Love these guys. Love Chris Funk and the team at Cool Touch. I have used them many times for all kinds of issues, and so have my friends. They all say the same thing I do. It's just different at Cool Touch. They say what they do, and they do what they say. They're never interested in upselling. If you're having air conditioning issues or plumbing issues, give them a call at 623-748-4942. That's 623 623- Seven four eight four nine four two, or you can visit them online at cooltouch.us. That's cooltouch.us. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. Happy Friday. How are you doing? 
I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? I'm okay. It's Um, been a long week, but we're good. Yeah, exactly. One of the uh, topics you you were talking about earlier with one of your guests had to do with this whole election and, you know, percentages of people voting and and so forth. I just, listening to either the radio or watching TV, you find that, and my theory is that there's an awful lot of people out there that are very confused because you've got people that are calling them conservatives or calling themselves conservatives that really aren't. You're, you're seeing people that have been supported by Trump, but obviously uh, Trump didn't really know enough of their background to really support them the way he has. And so I think a lot of people, and again, we have to kind of remove ourselves from uh, those who are more knowledgeable or follow this every day from those who are just the average get up, go to work, raise your family and, and pay your bills kind of people. So my, my theory is that there's the reason why people are maybe holding off a little bit is because there's a lot of confusion over, okay, who's, who's really conservative? I who's agree with you fully. I completely agree with you, Rob, completely. I think you have put your finger on it. I think you have. I think, I, I think so. Well, I'm just doing my job, sir. Well, I appreciate it. No, I I think there is a lot of that. And um, it's interesting. A lot of people are splitting. A lot of people I've been talking to are splitting their votes. Even a lot of people I follow on on social media are splitting their votes between Trump-endorsed candidates and non-Trump-endorsed candidates because the margins of difference in what they think in their own independent uh, judgment is, I guess, different from from what's coming out of Mar-a-Lago. But but. But, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of the confusion comes from that, or at least not confusion, shall we say, diffidence, hesitation, uh, requirement for more research. Yeah, I think you're onto something. I think that's a good analysis. I, I truly do. Uh, well done, sir. Pete Peterson coming right up. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.